The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to another episode of The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker in New York, in Woodstock to be precise. And guys, you've got just me this episode, so if you don't like it, stuff it. Well, just to be honest with you, Tom, my um, co-host, the snapper, is, you know, as usual, hungover. And so, you know, we, we, I think we should all club together to get him a lifetime supply of H-proof. Because, you know, he's in denial. Um, but, you know, occasionally he sleeps through a podcast, which you've all experienced. But here right now, it's just me and you. And we have an amazing episode. We have a fantastic guest. My drink's going to give it away. But then again, you probably already know who it is because that's why you're listening. Uh, and I am in a sort of completely, I guess I'm just, I don't know, in my own world when I like to imagine that you don't know who the guest is. I, and I've been doing this for years and I have suddenly realized, of course you know who the damn guest is. That, that it's, it's written on the podcast. You're, it's right there when you, when you go to click it, it. The name is there. Unless, of course, you're subscribed and it automatically comes on and you want a surprise. And you're like, it's Christmas and you don't want to shake the present. You just want to unwrap it. Uh, or, you, or you're one of those kids who goes looking for his gifts. Don't do that. <laughs> Listen to my drink, get inspired, and maybe you'll know who the artist is. So talking about drinks, I am drinking, and here's my big giveaway, because I like, love a theme. I'm drinking a country breeze a country breeze and i know it sounds like an air freshener a dodgy air freshener at a car wash <laughs> and you're like oh no my whole car is going to smell like country breeze now for the rest of the sort of you know and i have to have the windows down as i drive just to get it out but it it's actually a rather charming drink it's made of gin and i used a pink gin from gin lane one of my favorites they've done a great collab with cynthia rowley recently uh which you if you're looking for a great gift for the holidays check it out because they give money back to cancer research and all sorts of great stuff so that's gin lane and it's one and a half ounces of gin lane i also have half an ounce of creme de cassis um and which is fabulous for color it gives it a great little bit of flavor a little bit of that raspberry um and check this out three ounces of apple juice people apple juice um it's a it's a bit like a bramble you know i've had a bramble on the show before but brambles don't call for apple juice um and i squeeze fresh lemon juice sorry fresh lime juice into that so that's gin creme de cassis apple juice and lime it's I'm pretty darn good, I've got to say. And I topped it off with a little bit of uh, sparkling water. Um, so here it is. It's fabulous. It's pink, uh, pinky red and delicious. I'm going to have a sip. Cheers, everybody. So if you're drinking along with me, chin chin. Mm. Okay. So before we get to our guest, as we do on this show, booze news. Booze news this week. And we have a couple of interesting articles. First of all, Arby's, everyone's favorite place to get their fries, has decided that fries aren't enough. We need vodka flavored. Uh, I mean, sorry, French fried flavored vodka. That's exactly what we need, Arby's. And in, also in the news, Americans have been caught drinking in Rome in the Colosseum and they have hit a huge fire. Now we're gonna get to both of these articles. Let's first start with Arby's and their vodka. So, you know, I, I, here's, a, here's a quote from the guys at Arby's. They say, though we've mastered the art of drive-through fries, we wanted to take it one step further by making them 80% proof, Patrick Schwing said, Arby's chief marketing officer. Being a potato-based liquor, this limited edition vodka is infused with crinkle and curly fry flavor. So Arby's fans can enjoy our menu from bag to bottle. I mean, come on. Have you ever heard of anything so crazy? I mean, in a way, I, I mean, I love vodka and I love French fries. I don't love French fries in my vodka. Um, although it is fascinating. It, it does sort of make me wonder what is the potential of what else we could have. And I, you know, I love a good fast food booze news. And I love alcohol and fast food. There's something about it that it always makes me laugh. It always seems completely out of the ordinary that this one is taking it to a whole nother level. 
potato vodka as well. And now for the Rome's most expensive beer. Well, these two Americans were caught in the Colosseum having a beer apparently at 5.30 in the morning and they were spotted by some locals who went and told the Carabinieri, uh, Italian police, who went and picked them up. Now, you're not allowed to drink in the Colosseum and it does have a big fence all around it. So they clearly jumped over um, and thought, why not, we'll just have a, a beer in the Colosseum. Well, they were fined $900, I think, a piece. So that does now become probably one of the most expensive beers in Rome and uh, probably the most expensive beer they've ever had. So uh, on that note, on to a rather extraordinary artist. Our guest this week is the Australian-born country singer-songwriter known for hit songs like Day Drunk and an album called Songs That We Drink To. He's clearly made for the Shaken and Stirred show. He's toured with artists like Taylor Swift, Dan and Shay and Rascal Flatts. Welcome Morgan Evans. Morgan, how are you, mate? Hey, man, I'm great. It's, it's great to be here and on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. It's a real pleasure. You, you know, I've known about you for a hot minute. We have a, somebody in common, Chantelle, who uh, I'm not sure whether you've met her or not personally, but she's been hooking me up with the best country music people since like day one. All right, cool. It's good to have someone like that in your life. It is indeed very good. And she speaks very highly of you. And she's literally, as before I got on, she was DMing me saying, oh, he's great. He's got this going on. He's got that going on. He's uh, just apparently announced a tour with Brad Paisley. And she interviewed you on the red carpet at CMT. And she had all this nice. information, inside information. So congratulations on that. Thank you, mate. Thanks. It's, uh, it's exciting times. So look, tell us, you know, first of all, before we get into anything, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, cheers, by the way. What are you drinking? Have you got a drink near you? Cheers, yes. I've, uh, I've got a kind of a, a faux Paloma thing going on here at the moment. I would ordinarily have a margarita, but I found out a little late in the piece about the whole drink aspect of this, uh, of this show. Um, but I do have some tequila here uh, to talk about, and I have my recipe for my margarita that I am quite proud of as well whenever what is your well, tell, me, tell me both first of all the paloma is the most popular tequila drink cocktail in mexico so if you're a mexican right. they don't drink margaritas they like palomas how do you yeah. make your paloma i'd love to know well look this is i, I say it's a faux paloma because it's really just a grapefruit salsa and some tequila today so it's a very very basic uh situation but um it's doing it's the trick by, by the way so this is the thing people get confused about. Everyone likes to get fancy with the Paloma, but the okay. Paloma is not an extra, really a fancy drink. It is, for most Mexicans who make it, it is right. exactly that. It is grapefruit soda and tequila and then lime juice. And then if you want, you put in some simple syrup or, or some agave to sweeten it. But right. I don't do that because I don't like a sweet drink. But that's all it is. In the US, they've tried to make it really fancy. So people, you know, squeeze, freshly squeeze grapefruit juice. And that's right. not a Paloma, actually. Paloma is made with grapefruit soda. Soda. So it's well, not. Here, I am. Yeah. here you go, man. You're doing it right. You're straight off the bat. It's nothing faux. You're the real deal. Oh, right. well, here I am. Real deal. An Australian in America making the, uh, the most popular cocktail in Mexico. Let's go. Let's go. But before we move on, you said you like a margarita and you've got a recipe. So I want, I want to hear the, the Morgan Evans margarita. I do. I went when I discovered tequila and margaritas when I first started coming to um, uh, the US, because uh, tequila is not very popular in Australia. And so when I came here, I kind of started to discover it and I just went down a rabbit hole and started experimenting. And it's not it's not a crazy recipe, but my exact recipe is um, two shots of tequila, reposado preferred two shots of lime juice freshly squeezed three quarters of a shot of contra and then four to six drops of the fair trade raw blue agave nectar i'm not sure what brands you guys have but there's like this particular brand i could run and grab it if, no uh, i know exactly what that is that's crazy. a good one yeah and it's the um not the golden light one the dark one right. to me to me is, is better but that's just my thing i don't i, I that's not like any sort of like um this is the way that we do it this is just the way i like to do it well I call that's them. that's the all it is that's it that, dude yeah. i tell you a person who knows his drink and knows how to order if you can go to a bar and you want a good mar margarita you either rely on the odds of the bartender making you one or you can say 
this is how I like it. And then they can make it for you like that. And by the way, bartenders actually like that. People sometimes think that they don't want to be told. They love someone who knows what they want. Right. A good bartender, right? A good bartender, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Maybe totally. somebody, some poncy person is going to be like, oh, I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> what's he telling me all about how to do this? <laughs> yeah. You know, this is my job. But no, no, most bartenders like it and they go, okay, here's a guy who knows what yeah. a good drink is. And that sounds fabulous to me, by the way. So you said Australians don't like um, tequila. What, what, why, why, first of all, do they not like it? And, and by the way, I, I grew up not liking it too. And what right. do they like? Well, I'm not sure. From what I can work out, that maybe whatever the trade agreement is with booze and Mexico and Australia makes tequila incredibly expensive in Australia. So if you're drinking a regular, regularly priced bottle of tequila, it's probably not going to be of a high quality in Australia. So you're drinking the stuff that doesn't taste very good and probably gives you a bad hangover rather than the better stuff. And so... It's just not as popular for that reason. It's cheaper to drink vodka or whiskey or um, or rum too. Bundaberg rum is another big favourite uh, for Aussies as well. It's Australian-made rum. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but um, they're probably the main spirits of choice. I'm not. But what I like about you is when you actually talk about your alcohol, you have a different smile for each one. Which I, I'm not quite sure what that even means, but yeah, I watched you just then and you literally said vodka and you kind of like did a little kind of thing with your eyes. And then you sort of, you said, I, and then you went to rum and you, you had this whole smile, like a story ran through your mind of some night that you drank that rum or some moment or some party. Am yeah. I wrong or am I right? Yeah, the best story that I can't remember, probably something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta love that. I gotta love that. All right, look, enough about all this alcohol business. Let's move on to you and your music for us and go and go from there. I'm sure the alcohol will come come through the, the, the stories anyway, because you've got oh, songs like Day Drunk, songs that we drink to. I mean, it goes on and on. But what are you going to tell me? What, what What's up? Well, I was just going to ask what you're drinking. Oh, well, very charming of you. Why not? It's called a country breeze, my friend. Okay. Country breeze. It. Well, look at him. He's now he's turning the whole table around and making me answer. Well, I've already announced everyone what I'm drinking. So on the show, I talk about the drink in advance, but it's okay. gin, creme de cassis, apple juice and uh, squeezed lime. And I themed wow. it over country breeze country you know the yeah 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 i'm clever like that yeah, you see what i'm doing there you see what i'm doing i just did it for you it's not really normally my it's a bit sweeter than i normally like but i'm like right. what can i do that's a country themed kind of cocktail so Love you know it. just to welcome you so cheers by the way there you go cheers mate nice to meet you cheers mate mm -hmm. Uh, we've had a few Aussies on the show I, I do love an Aussie that I, I you know I guess the first thing that sort of struck me and I this is it's a stupid question because I know country music is all over the world and I actually remember when I grew up in England my aunt and uncle were big country fans and used to go to like country events they would dress up as like country stars themselves and they had the like the whole those funny little I don't know, strings you put around your neck with a little piece of metal oh, that yeah. you pull up. And I was like, what are you guys wearing? What do you think you are? I think this is a Western, but they loved it. But, you know, is country big in Australia? Is that, is it a big deal? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not as sort of present as it is here in the U S but it is one of those things that sort of growing up, was a really passionate niche in Australia. And maybe over the last 15 years, I've seen it just every time I go home, it's bigger and bigger and you're hearing it on um, like pop radio stations will have a country song every now and then. And you'll see all the big country artists go down there and tour and play all the big arenas and stuff down there. And so it has sort of become, become a big thing down there. Yeah, whereas maybe growing up in Australia, it was a little more of a passionate niche thing. So from a passionate niche standpoint, as a kid, as a boy growing up, I mean, you, you clearly seem to be musical. I mean, I've, I've read sort of stuff about you playing instruments and stuff when you were just a kid, small kid, by all accounts. You know, talk to us about, I guess, you as a kid growing up and, and when you first kind of, I guess, first got into music and then thought country. Yeah, man. I mean, I guess everyone sort of just grows up listening to their parents' records, right? You kind of don't get a choice in that. And for me, I feel like there's like maybe six or seven records that defined my childhood. And three of those were country music. Uh, and it was Glenn Campbell, The Greatest Hits, um, Garth Brooks, The Greatest Hits, and then 
um, one of the early greatest hits with the Eagles and the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band as well, like something from the 70s that they did. So it was these four records and it was those and then it was Credence and Led Zeppelin and Meatloaf. Now and, you're talking. Yeah. And so I, I grew up just listening to all of these um, records back to back, but not really knowing that was country and that was rock and roll and, and all that kind of thing. And I sort of loved music from a pretty young age. I feel like maybe my mum would have been a musician, but really never had the opportunity as a kid to, to learn. And so as a reaction to that, my brother and sister and I, she was always just like, hey, do you want to play um, an instrument or should, do you want to go to a piano at school or whatever? And um, so we all picked up music at a young age and um, that was sort of, I didn't make that choice for myself really. It was just part of my life until I think 13 was the point where it kind of took over and I was like, I want to play guitar. And I got a guitar and started playing and, and started a band that same day with my best mate from um, kindergarten and my brother, I was 13, my brother was 11. We forced him to learn bass guitar. And, you know, before we knew it, we were in the garage making all this noise and, and sort of experimenting and, and playing. I mean, in that band for the first two <laughs> years, we played like surf punk, metal, rap, country, like everything, you know, we sort of learnt together, like how to play music and what we loved. And um, so the more we played, the more it just sort of gravitated towards songs with choruses and melodies. And um, my brother was the first singer of the band. And then I guess maybe he hit puberty. And so I took over singing. <laughs> and, uh, man, I mean, I guess, Hilarious. When you, yeah, when you sing, it just, it, it started coming out country and and probably as a result of all the stuff that I grew up on and uh as cheesy as it sounds I, I was probably about 15 or 16 when uh, my mom dragged me along to a Keith Urban concert in my hometown legend and that was the first time I'd seen all that rock and roll and all that old country music all put together for the first time he was sort of doing this country music but with like a rock swagger and like big guitars and solos and like heavy drums and 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 that was probably the light bulb moment that started my whole like oh where did that come from and sort of set my sights on oh that stuff that I love is coming from Nashville I'm gonna check that out did you have a, 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 I mean I, I gotta say just by again you're doing that thing when you reminisce or you think about something that you you're smiling which I gotta say I love it's a I, you know we do I do a lot of interviews interview a lot of people I think people they they're either so programmed to answer questions sometimes, or they've heard things. But they, you seem to have a real love of life, and and, and you, when you're thinking back, that smile that comes over you, it makes me feel that you're really thinking about good memories and great. I mean, it must be you were playing music. I guess that was what you wanted to do. It's such a charming thing, by the way. But did you have a lovely childhood? Was it great? Do you think like, oh my god, I loved? I wish I could go back. Or I mean, what was your childhood like as far as like you know enjoyment factor? Yeah, man. I mean, I think, I think probably why I was smiling then was because I was remembering music as just pure joy. Like it wasn't my job and it never stressed me out. It couldn't be loud enough. It was just all possibility. And just, I remember, I mean, we used to just jam for hours in my parents' garage. Like the whole street could hear us playing. There was no soundproofing or anything like that. And it was just like music for the pure joy of it. And um, sometimes I feel like when you do, do it for a living, you know, or you're writing every day or you're on the road and you're tired and you got to get up and whatever, do press at 5.30 in the morning, you kind of can lose sight of that. And it's fun to sort of reminisce on, on those times. And um, yeah, just remember the way that music made me feel then and, and try to still find that in, in what I do. That was probably the smile that you saw then i also feel really lucky to have had my brother in my band we played in a band for 10 years and traveled all over australia and new zealand mm. together and that was such a you know living over here now and, and having not seen my family for two years because of covid and all that um, i really um sort of cherish that time uh, that we got to spend together and do all that cool stuff together no for sure that must be difficult that must be hard you mean do you find there's a, a you know a, a sort of element of culture shock living over here permanently it's you know are you completely sort of i know i guess in the groove of what it's like to live here or, or do you still get rubbed up the wrong way because most aussies oh i know are really relaxed sort of 
fun going, you know, fun seeking people too. And sometimes, you know, the American rat race in general can be, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's business, even when it's meant to be fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, there's definitely things like that, that are culture shocky for sure. I mean, less shocky because I've been here for six years now and I feel like I kind of come to expect it, but um, yeah, it's kind of what I love and what I don't love about Nashville is that, the idea that I can be in this town and people ask me, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I do music. And it's like, cool, that's great. And whereas, you know, if I'm in my hometown and I say, they say, what do you do? I, I do music. The question is, what else? And right. so that's a very different perspective. But at the same time, like you say, it, it is, it does become a business sometimes. So it's really nice to, um, as I said, like have moments like that where you reminisce or um, catch, I'm going to catch up with some old mates out in LA this weekend. And one of them I grew up, grew up playing bands uh, in bands with in my hometown. And so it's nice to have moments like that uh, in life to sort of just remind yourself, hey, this is, this is super fun. And I will say um, something happened this year that, um, that hasn't happened for a while. I, I grew up, you know, when I say 13, I was like, I didn't want to go and be a singer songwriter and sit on stools and play acoustic guitar. I wanted to play guitar in a band. And when I moved to Nashville, I left my Australian band behind. They all had lives and wives and kids. And, and, uh, and I just played solo with the loop pedal for four years. And, and just this year I put a band together in America and we just finished this 36 state tour last week. And mm-hmm. I got to say that the joy of playing music, and having that shared experience and turn up loud and it's uh, it's really all come back in the last few months and um that's a really good feeling no congratulations and it's, it's your music sounds amazing i can tell that you're on a buzz with with the music too just in your enthusiasm it's infectious and you know and, I, and i've you know obviously some people might watch this podcast but other people will be mostly listening to it and i i'll say it again but you know morgan is you know you, he has a wry smile he has a whole you have a whole kind of slew of different smiles now you mentioned you know i guess in australia where you know, people will say, oh, what you do for a living? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm a musician. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, what else do you do type of thing? Right. You know, I'm originally a photographer, and that's what I've been doing all my my life. And you know, people will say to me, you know, oh, yeah, and what else do you do? You know, because it's, it's sort of one of those gigs as well where – Really? Photography? That's like a hobby or something. It's not like it's a right. side thing. It's, a, it's like a humanities course. It's not an actual thing. Right, right. Totally. And it's funny because so much of the joy of photography, I'm sure, is the same as music. It's just like, I'm doing this because I love to do this. Whereas like when it becomes your, your world or your, your career or whatever word you want to give it, then sometimes you have to do it whether you feel like doing it or, or not. And, and so that's the balance. Do you ever feel like you have imposter um, syndrome, uh, you know, the, where you sort of can't believe that you are doing what you're doing? And I say that because I've, I've often sort of looked around and gone, how am I sort of here? Because my brothers work in finance and in accounting and in insurance and, you know, and they look at me and they're the ones too who are like, what do you do again? Because because they sort of see what I'm doing and I'm like doing a podcast or I write some crazy book or I do, you know, I'm doing some TV show or whatever it might be. And, you know, someone like yourself too, people probably like, do you ever feel like, what am I doing or how am I here? And maybe I shouldn't be, I'm not deserving or something. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've heard about this. I've actually, I was asked about that a couple of years ago and I said no. But I, I, I did start to have it at the end of 2019. We had, because um, I've been doing this for so long, right? And, and it's always been like, hey, I, I need to like prove myself here. I need to prove myself here. Like I, I, need, like I need to make sure that I'm deserving of this situation. This needs to be the best show I've ever played. Like I want every show that I do to be the best show I've ever played. Every record I make to be the best record I've ever made. And, and I've always been opening for people. And I feel like since I moved to America, I've been opening for people. So the first five years and then at the end of 2019, we did um, this world tour and they were all headline dates, like 30 something dates um, around the US, the UK. We did um, one in Germany and then we did Australia and New Zealand. And on those shows I did, the sold out, everyone's there. Like I have every reason to feel confident walking on the stage. And that's the night when I get that. I'm like, wow. Oh, okay right um this is it this is me tonight you know and that, that was i was playing those shows solo too so it was just like 
they were the, the nights when may like that feeling you're talking about did creep in and I felt that for the first time. And, and I think um, I try, I really tried to just stop and kind of enjoy that feeling. Cause I hadn't felt it before. And um, I, I do you ever get cool. it was tell cool. me what I, that I feeling it. is like though because i mean i've interviewed boxers too and i've asked them like when you step into the ring like first of all what do you do to step into the ring because i want to know how you, and then secondly when you're in the ring and you look around and there's everyone there looking at you i mean it's a similar right. kind of vibe right you you've got to step on you can hear the crowd yeah and you know that when you step on you're about to see like all these people looking at you with anticipation yeah I mean, what goes so what do you do to prep what is yours like uh, you know the morgan Evan, like here's do you do a warm-up do you like do you know alternate nasal breathing or something <laughs> <laughs> well i mean now with the band we have um we just always make sure there's a room backstage and we set up like we set up all of our sort of b rigs so like a couple of drums and a little bass amp and some guitar amps and we just jam and so we're already playing music before we go on. We feel warm. But when I was doing the solo stuff, I, I couldn't do that. So I was kind of mentally preparing to just not mess up the first song. And then, I mean, you quit once it starts, once the show starts and you sing the first note and the first things all in time and all that, I mean, it's just fun to be in it. Like that's, that's the whole goal, just be in it. But there is that moment right before you walk on and then, hitting those first few notes and getting them right um that to me that's the that's the hurdle but once you're over that i mean uh, the shows were on uh, those shows in 2019 were my favorite shows i've ever played and and i specifically think of one in sydney um at this place called the Enmore theater and uh it was the place that i grew up going to shows so i would drive down from my hometown in newcastle two hours and we would go see you know i saw keith Urban there um I saw, I saw like Ryan Adams there and good Charlotte there, like all those like different phases of my life. Like I would see bands there. And so that was like kind of one of those ones where I was like, Oh man, like I wish I had the dudes that I played with growing up to go play this show. But um, yeah, as I said, after, after we did that first, first note, the first bar was in time on the loop pedal. Um, it was just pure joy for the rest of the night. It's, it must have been an extraordinary feeling to have been there to see all those epic bands and then you are now the band that people are coming to listen to and you know that there will be kids probably someone even like yourself who was like i remember when i saw morgan evans there and that that's pretty crazy in a way i mean you know what i mean like that's got to be a, an amazing feeling for you yeah yeah that's and that's the imposter syndrome moment when you're you're backstage yeah. and you see all these other bands that have played this place and you're like, oh, hang on a second. Like one of us is not like the others, you know, that's the, the imposter feeling that I think I'm talking about. So do you, um, when you're up on stage, do you ever, or, or do you try not to find people in the audience or when, so if you, do you make, or do you make eye contact with someone? Does it throw you? Uh, no, I love, I love that actually um, in a big crowd. In a big crowd, I love that. Like in a sea of faces, I, I, I love to kind of really try to connect with people. That's one of the things I love about playing with the band as opposed to the loop pedal is I can look up. I don't have to be looking down at these pedals anymore. But I will say in smaller rooms, like if we're doing some sort of, um, you know, pre-show smaller hang or, or press thing or whatever, and you can actually sort of see each other really close, that's an awful thing, you know? I try not to look in that situation. For some reason, that's way more difficult. But um, no, I, I, that that connection, I think, is what is what feeds me as a musician, a live performer. And one of the things I noticed, actually, um, you know, after having a year and a half off because of COVID, and then when the shows came back, sort of a few months ago here uh, in the states. Um, I was ready to go out and feel like pumped to play and, and the band was ready. The whole crew was, we were ready to be just having the best night ever, but I wasn't prepared for how stoked everyone in the audience would be. And there's been this really unique thing the last, last couple of months playing where we're playing our first shows back, but the audience is seeing their first shows back too. And they're just as happy as we are. So that energy exchange has been sort of bigger than it ever has been and uh, that's been a really nice feeling too of like hey we're back here we're doing this and this is the magic we kind of we missed and it's a bunch of people standing next to each other that don't care like who they voted for or what they posted on twitter that day they're all just there like singing and drinking and just having a great time and um yeah there's there's some real magic in that and it's been a real pleasure to, to play those shows no for sure i mean obviously 
with what happened at Astro World, you know, there's been like, you know, people who are now obviously a little scared of going to concerts. And I know that even my own in-laws recently were going to go to a big concert in, in Mobile, Alabama, uh, with multiple big bands playing. And, but there were going to be, I think, 40,000 people there at the, at the event. And, you know, they were encouraging tailgating and, you know, and five hours before the concert began, a lot of drinking. And, you know, and I think that just sometimes, you know, that it, there is a nervousness. And one, we're already nervous about being around that many people. But two, when you hear of the sort of stampede situation or something like that happening, is that something which obviously perturbs you in some way? Is there, are there things that we, anyone can do to try and stop that from happening? Is there, are there better ways to manage it, do you think? Well, man, I, honestly, I mean, I'm aware of the, the, um, what you're talking about. I don't know the details of it per se, but I remember there's this concert in Australia called the Big Day Out. It used to be it was the biggest kind of indie rock, heavy rock, sort of pop rock festival for a long time in sort of late 90s, early 2000s. And I remember one year, I think one or two people died for the same reason. And so I remember all this stuff about, hey, if you have like the tea barricade here and they had all this kind of science or whatever you want to call it, of ways to stop that from happening. And it never happened again in Australia after that. But I'm not sure what sort of um, strategies they had in play at that show. So I can't really comment directly on that. But um, I mean, I, I, it's one of those yeah. things that is I'm always slightly claustrophobic myself. I, I, you know, I'm never so when I see in big groups of people, I'm always a little freaked out uh, in general. So I, you know, Obviously, there are ways around. I love going to concerts. Nothing I love more than live music. But I, I remember being in a Global Citizen concert uh, in Central Park and literally someone just uh, was sitting on a barricade and the barricade fell over. And the, no the noise of the barricade falling over sounded like a gunshot. And it, there was a huge stampede of people likewise. And they shut down Global Citizen for over an hour and 20 minutes, I think. And, you know, no one was killed thank god but people were injured and people did even friends of mine lost their sh like one of my friends lost his shoe completely and had to sort of go home shoeless or one shoe hopping along and just you know was really rattled and i just heard from a friend of mine that you know that, that um their child who was there with them who was like a 13 year old boy watching the concert actually had to go into therapy for over a year because of the what happened they felt so traumatized by it but you know it's a uh, it's one of those things when you get in those sort of massive group situations. Do you like the big, big concerts or do you have a preference for the smaller? I mean, I've seen photographs that your wife's taken of you at the Ryman and places like that. It, it, that way I would imagine there's a smaller venue, but obviously a real classic one. But yeah, yeah, um, man, I don't know. I see. I love both, both all. I want to keep playing all kinds of venues. I. I think the biggest show we played this year was in Chicago and it was called the Lake Shake Festival. And there was probably 25,000 people there. And I mean, it, the energy in like, it was kind of that sunset we played, like that kind of energy is just so fun. I, I don't think there was any crowd issues with that. Like I didn't see like, you know, you can see a crowd that is kind of pushed together, moving as one. I didn't see any of that, thankfully. And it was all very, um uh friendly and and lighthearted and fun but i love that but i love that just as much as i loved you know we, we've just been out with brett eldridge who i'm not sure if you're familiar right. with him he's like a real a crooner kind of like amazing singer guy and we played some some of the oldest theaters in america we played this 110 year old theater in philly and playing in places like that is amazing for another reason you know there's just so much history you can feel on those stages and um yeah man i'm, I'm into all of it and the Ryman. Um, that's a that's a bucket list for me to headline the Rhino one day. I haven't done it yet. I'm not sure when I will, but um, yeah, that's a that's a really special place to to play and to watch music. Yeah, I, I photographed Taylor Swift at the Ryman um, for nice. a book that I did with with Taylor, and I know that you have um, actually been on on tour with Taylor, right? So you yeah you, you were you opening for her or what, what 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 part of the act were you? Yeah, man, that was I put out my first single ever and kind of the first tour I did was with Taylor and she booked this tour in Australia. This was 2009. So it was a long time ago. And she booked this tour before love story had come out. And so we were playing 1500 capacity kind of places in Australia. And 
between booking the tour and then she put out love story and so by the time she was coming to play she probably could have played the arena down the road but we were playing these places and it was just insane like the closest thing to probably you know the height of the Beatles that I'll ever see um was playing those shows I mean you would put like my guitar player would like put his leg out from the backstage to walk on stage as the opening act and the scream from the crowd would just be like at 11 or 12. It was pretty, that was a pretty insane time. I, I really didn't know the magnitude of what was going on on that tour. All I knew is that we had a great time. We had a great time doing it. Uh, she, she, yeah, she's no doubt a, a major star and, and sort of, you know, has been a kind of game changer in many respects for, for yeah, the business, yeah. making it very poppy and very kind of accessible to a huge new audience that now consider themselves country fans in large part because of artists like Taylor. Um, uh, you know, amazing, you know, obviously you yourself are married to uh, a well-known artist, uh, Kelsey Ballerini. When you met her, I don't want to, you know, this is about you more than anything, but I want to know, was it love at first sight? <laughs> don't spit your drink. You can't spit your drink when I ask that question. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I'll, I'll look. We, we, um, we'd met a couple of times super briefly. Like we, uh, I'd, I'd hosted the Country Music Awards of Australia, I think twice. And then I was going home to do it a, for a third time. And they called me and they're like, hey, we're thinking um, uh, we want to get you an international co-host this year to, to host the awards with you. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, who are you thinking? And when they said her name, I did think that that would be pretty cool. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll be okay with that. And uh, so we met a couple of times really briefly to take some promo shots or whatever, but that was literally five minutes, you know? And um, then when we hosted the awards together, it was one of those- You didn't feel the chemistry then, those photos like that? Oh, look, man, I don't know. We were probably just both so nervous and awkward that we had no idea what was going on in those situations if modest, but- the, the hosting the awards thing was, was great because, you know, two people that are kind of nervous and awkward are forced to spend these days together rehearsing, getting the show right. And then, of course, like hosting a live TV special is a pretty kind of heightened experience. You know, there's a lot that can go wrong. And if you pull it off, it's like a big achievement. And so I think it wasn't till after we got through hosting the show, we were in um, the dressing room. And I think she came by and we were like, doing a cheers with some tequila actually um to just, to, to just say like congratulations to each other and as as that moment progressed people kept walking by so like her manager came by so he came in and we did a shot and then the producer of the show came in the scriptwriter of the show came in so we ended up having all this tequila and then um you know after that much tequila you can kind of it's a little easier to be honest with each other and um yeah man that was i think that was the thursday night we saw each other play over the weekend and then but the following Wednesday, we were back in Nashville and we went on our first date. And uh, I guess the rest is history. As there I say. you go. I love yeah. that. What a great story. What a great story. And it's funny, uh, tequila, the truth serum. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> except that when you wake up the next day and you like, shit, did I say that? I didn't mean to, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have said that like that if I if I had known. Oh, my yeah. God, that's, that's so, so, so good. I was going to wonder. So is she a Paloma fan as well or, or does she like your margarita? Oh, she likes both. Yeah. Uh, she's a big fan of the margarita. The margarita is pretty strong, though. It's dangerous. It's dangerous territory once you, you're committed, once you go in there. But uh, yeah, we're both tequila fans for sure. Two shots. I, I remember you saying that's crazy. Now, you, before you got into music, there's a, I, I read that you almost became a lawyer. Right. What, what's that? Is that true? Uh, that might be a stretch. I, I did um, do law school for a year. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I did it for long enough to, to be like, I, I had a, a meeting with uh, the head of the head of the faculty. I'm not sure what his exact title title was. His name is Ken. He's a good fella, long white beard, exactly what you would imagine in a professor. And I sat down with him one day and it's just like, how are you going, mate? How are you going with everything? I was like, oh, you know, all right. And he's like, you're not in class very often. Um, what have you been up to? I'm like, oh, we've been touring. My band was touring at the time. And so uh, he was like, oh, all right do you like that better? I was like, yeah, you should probably just go do that. And so I took his advice and, um, and went and did it. So yeah, I'll always appreciate that. I did. I had a, I had a little crack at it, but it just wasn't for me, man. There's different things for different people. And, um, you know, growing up in a, in a sort of really working class town, I think it's like, 
that whole thing. Like, what else do you do? And so I was trying to find my what else um, at that time. And uh, thankfully, I didn't find one. Well, you've got to have a pretty good mind, though, to even think about doing law. So, I mean, that's a sort of little secret talent of yours that, you know, you, you, you have a better look when you're looking at your contracts. You're able to look at them a little bit harder and be like, that doesn't look right. I don't know. Maybe I ask more questions than I should. I don't know. Um, but I definitely, I enjoy having a lawyer that knows that now. Let's put it that way. <laughs> For sure, 100%. So, you, you, you're, you're, I mentioned at the top of the show, you know some of the songs that you've written and they you reference drinking a lot right so certainly you've got day drunk which is a, a big song of yours and uh things that we drink to i guess how do you come up with a song like day drunk where's that what's the inspiration tell talk us through a little bit about that song and specifically and then a little bit i guess i'd like to hear too your your process well the drinking thing's funny right because after i mean <laughs> It was more that that title was kind of more of a, a realization after the fact. And Nashville is. Have you spent much time here in Nashville? Actually, my mother-in-law lives in Nashville, and I've okay. As I mentioned, I shot Taylor Swift at the Ryman, and yeah, so yeah. I've been a few times. I've done. I've been to the Grand Old Opry. I've done all a bunch of different things. So right. Well, it is a drinking town, right? It's a. I mean, so that sort of goes hand in hand with country music. You're going to go see a band, or if you're celebrating something or commiserating something, that's kind of just the way. It goes here and um, I, none of the songs on there are just straight up drinking songs. Um, and I've never really wanted to write one of those, but I use it as a metaphor in all of these different songs. And I didn't realize until the album was done, I looked through and I was like, oh, well, like I referenced, um, I use drinking as a metaphor there and there and there and there and there and day drunk. You love it. Day drunk's like the, it's the, the country version of like afternoon delight, you know? That's kind of the, the point of that song. Um, and yet at the same time, that chorus just turns into a drinking anthem at, at those outdoor festivals we get to play. So it's the best of both worlds for me. And um, Things That We Drink To was a song that I wrote about, um, about losing my manager, my manager of, of 10 years, a guy named Rob Potts, who... Um, was the guy that brought me to America for the first time. And he was the guy that brought Brooks and Dunn and Alan Jackson to Australia for the first time and started the big festival for the first time down there. And so um, when, when I lost him, that was, we wrote that the day of his memorial service in Nashville. And so there are all these drinking references in these songs about other things in my life. And I think that was just a result of an Australian landing in Nashville and just, <laughs> just falling into this crazy drinking culture that's here, you know. You know, you you, you obviously mentioned an, you know, an Australian going to Nashville. It, it wasn't easy, was it? I mean, it, when, when, everything I've read that you know you talk about too. You sort of you, you talk about how when you first got there, it was tough being a, yeah. a, an artist uh, away from your family, away from your friends, away from your band, trying to make it in Nashville. It hasn't always been easy, right? Right, right. Oh man, it's super tough. I mean, the, every. Every part of that is really tough. It's it's kind of, um, it's one of those, you know, you, you land here in this in this town, you, all those things that you mentioned, but but also the, the factor of um, this town, it still to this day can be both inspiring or intimidating on any one day because, you know, you're surrounded by the most talented people uh, in the world. And so you kind of get to choose whether you're inspired or intimidated and it's up to your kind of headspace to decide which one of those it's going to be. And um, it's funny, like just, you know, mental health has become a, a, a thing that is more talked about now, even more so than six years ago. And people talk about, you know, aspects of depression or anxiety and all those kind of things. And not that I feel like I was crippled by them, but when people talk about those things, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I had that first year I was in America. Oh, totally. Oh yeah, is that what that is? Yeah, cool. You know, and so there's definitely all those feelings and and things that you deal with, and and that's probably for anyone that moves across the world, away from their family, but also away from their support network. You know, like it, it wasn't like I I could call my old mate and go for a beer and just sort of whatever, shoot the shit, watch the football game or whatever. It was all new friends, which was great and exciting in its own way, but um, what that saying is like you can't make old friends, you know, and um, it did take a while to sort of find my my feet here and it still doesn't feel as home as home did but it's getting better you know sort of every week or every year every month you know are you are you an american yet i'm not no that's a it's a really long 
long, arduous legal process, but um, I am legal. I have a green card here, so I'm- um, But do you I'm want here. to become an American or you want yeah. to stay in Aussie? Well, I think I'll do the dual thing. Um, I think that's my goal to do the dual thing. So then I don't have you to can't worry tell about... the Americans that. You have to tell only the Aussies will let you. The Americans don't allow you to be a dual citizen. I'm not sure <laughs> if you know that. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm an English, but I'm an American, right? So what happens is is that the UK allows me to keep both passports, right? Okay. So you keep your passport, but. The Americans, when you become an American, you have to pledge allegiance to the flag and you're not allowed to be from another country simultaneously. You like in, like in theory. You, so when you travel out of the US, you have to travel out on your American passport and you have to when, when you check into that next country that you're flying to, you have to check in on your American passport and it's tracked. So otherwise you fly out as an American and you would just disappear in the world right? because you would oh. never have landed because you wouldn't okay. have checked in. So, and then they, you can get into big trouble because I have friends of mine who have done exactly that, who have come back in and the, the guy's like, where's the stamp of where you went? And he's like, oh, I just, I went in on my British passport. And they're like, but you're either an American or you're British. Now, what you can do is you can land in England and then put your American passport aside, pick up your UK one and travel all around Europe, come back to England, get back on the plane. And then, and, it's, and they know, so, there are ways around these things, but, um, you know, one must, you know, a pledge allegiance to the flag. And that is, you know, at that point you are, um, you know, so, yeah. Well, I do appreciate the advice. <laughs> I may call you on my next, uh, my next step of this journey. I think I've got two and a half years until I can apply for that. You know, so look, going back to your concerts before we let you go and do, do something else, but you, when you, when you're trying to, I, I've, I want to know because I've always wondered how an artist selects the songs that they're going to sing and the order of them. Like, what do you, I mean, obviously you, you, you're big hits, but you yeah. know, and, and we've all been to concerts where people sing songs and you're like, oh God, I wish they'd just sing the stuff I love or, or I don't, or, you know, or, or sometimes they've got a new album and it's great, but other times you're like, I, please just sing, you know, Day Drunk or something. But how, so what, you know, how do you set your lineup? Yeah, man, I mean, definitely, I mean, I'm definitely not at the stage in my career where I have too many hits to play. So <laughs> I guess that, that makes the, the writing easier. You put the songs in that you think people will know the most. I will say one thing happened that was funny after quarantine um, in the US, uh, the, the most played song on radio and, and before quarantine happened, Kiss Somebody, um, song, the song of my Kiss Somebody was yep. easily the most sort of recognizable song. And so we would play that last every night. But after the, the first few shows back, we were like, hang on, Day Drunk is reacting way more and it was nowhere near as big a radio kind of success uh, here in the States. And, um, and I realized, I was like, hang on, people have just been getting drunk every day for a year and a half. This has probably been <laughs> the soundtrack to that. And so we flipped them around and now we played, well, on this tour, we just did, we played Kiss Somebody earlier, but Day Drunk at the end because, because of that. Um, in terms of the other songs, man, I, I mean, you do, I mean, you have to be selfish a little bit, right? Like I, there was new songs that I had that I wanted to play and they hadn't even come out yet at the time. We were playing songs like Country Out of My Girl and Sing Along, Drink Along. And um, the, sing, the single Love Is Real before they were even out, they just came out on the EP we should put out. But um, it was fun to play new songs too because you would watch the audiences kind of pick them up and you'd see the parts that people would react to and you could adjust your set based on that. Um, I don't think the setlist is ever finished. That's probably the answer. I think every night we were kind of tweaking, tweaking, trying to make it better. And as I said, wanting the next show to be the best show we'd ever played. It, it, does it depend on where you are in the world though? Because I mean, I, I'm just wondering like a UK audience or versus an Australian audience versus, a, you know, a Nashville audience or you know, it, it, does it, does that really affect the, the, perhaps the type of songs that you would sing or? Maybe. Maybe I will say what I've noticed in in uh, in America, where country music is very present, and in any city in America, any weekend you can see whoever you want to—the biggest country artist, inside the biggest country artist in in the world here. Whereas when you go to the UK um, or Australia, 
it's much more of a special occasion when that happens. And so the people that come to the shows don't just know the songs they've heard on the radio, they know every song. And so I think you can be a little nice. more, you can switch it up a little more in Australia or the UK because you know that those people coming to the show are in, they've listened to everything and um, maybe you can play some deeper cuts. Whereas in the US, you kind of want to play the stuff that they've heard maybe on the radio or on their playlist or, or whatever. You know, you've done a you've done a cover before too, right? All I want, all I want for all I want for Christmas is a. That, uh, yeah. Are you are you down with covers? I mean, are you are you like is that something that you just you do for fun, or you just you know do you do them regularly on on tour as well? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I grew up sort of I was playing cover bands or whatever. We were playing weddings when I was going through college and stuff like that, um, or university, um, depending on who's listening, but. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I mean, I, I think when I moved here, I, I was like, I'm only going to play songs that I wrote, you know. Um, but I, I think at this point, it's just, it's fun to mess with them. That particular song, All I Want For Christmas Is You, has long been my favourite song of all time. I, I do think it's pretty unbeatable. Like, that, it, it's, that song's kind of invincible to me. And so... Um, the, the label actually that I'm on Warner here in Nashville were like hey we're doing a Christmas record or do you want to do a song on it? and I was like yes as long as it can be that song and so that's sort of how that came about but um, in, the, in the tour we just did we sort of we, we incorporated a little cover moment too and that's some things that we drink to we sort of worked in a little bit of uh, the Coldplay song Fix You and it kind of has a similar sort of feelings like as a kind of a mashup thing but um, I'm not adverse to covers no that's probably the answer um, as long as it, it, there's a reason for it, you know. I like that song, what, Last Christmas. Is that, it's George Michael, right? Yeah, yeah. Wham, I think, yeah. Yeah, wham, wham, even, yeah. Yeah, yep. no, that's a good one. I mean, you know, Christmas songs, as corny as they are, they all, all, they're very nostalgic, right? Mm. They just definitely, you know, you can only listen to them for so long, but at the same time, it's like you can't wait to hear them when you do hear them. Absolutely. And I think last year, because, like, it's just the worst year ever. I think Kelsey and I specifically were like, it was the end of October and we're like, yeah, it's pretty much Christmas, right? Yeah, okay, switch the playlist or whatever. And we just listened to it for two months, which was probably too long in retrospect, but um, it does give you a good feeling. Um, wow, you guys are made yeah. for each other. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. so, you, so you, I'm, I'm trusting that, that they're, they're, you know, the pandemic, you were good being in lockdown with Kelsey for, you know, for a long period of time. I know it's, it was not easy for a lot of people to be stuck with their, you know, better half necessarily, you know, in, in tight, you know, um, quarters. Yeah, totally. I mean, we saw probably more of each other in that year and a half than we would have in the next 10 years had we kept going you know with the speed that we were both touring and seeing each other it, it would I'm, I'm not even exaggerating it was crazy um and then it was great in a lot of ways and it was really challenging in other ways um we moved house we were in an apartment because we were out of town all the time and now we live in a house in the backyard so the dog's stoked about that and um yeah i think we got to know each other so much better we were married for what two years and then we went into quarantine together and um it was a great kind of learning experience, and I think we're definitely a lot better for it. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful to have made it through that. Um, it's probably the best way to put it. So you, you, you've got a radio show too, right? Apple Music, Countrywide Radio. Is that something you're on doing at the moment? Yes, yes. I'm recording a show this afternoon, actually. It's, um, it's fun, man. I, I, I don't know if you've listened to it. It's, uh, it's a show about country music all over the world. Absolutely. Um, Congratulations. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing, right? I mean, I, you, I see you're up there with other legends doing other you know, radio shows like similar to yours, but in other areas. And it's, it's pretty impressive that you're doing it. So what, what, is, that, what is it you love about it? I, I think Apple approached me because I'm the non-American guy here in Nashville. And they were just like, hey, we want you to do a show. It can be whatever you want. And um, I've just always been really passionate. Maybe, maybe it's growing up in Australia when country music wasn't so present or maybe wasn't so current or so international. And then watching that side of country music grow in Australia has just been so exciting alongside the, the CMC Rocks Festival down there that's kind of led the way uh, in that. And then the same thing I've seen, uh, I've been to the UK a handful of times and, and played the C2C Festival one time as well in um, Glasgow and and um and london and it's just it's super exciting and i feel like for a lot of 
uh, Americans are around, you know, as I tour around that they will ask me like, Hey, well, is country music big in Australia? Which is kind of how we started this conversation. Is country music big in Australia? What's country music like in Australia? And I was like, I need to do a show that is the answer to that question, but for all over the world. And so it's been really cool to discover artists from, you know, there's this fellow from South Africa that we've been playing a lot and uh, a guy named Rowan Ash, and he has a deal here in Nashville now, and he's putting out music here now. And, um, you know, South African country. Yeah, yeah, he's and he's great, man. He's 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 really um, like amazing voice, and and you, I'm sure you'll hear amazing. his music sooner sooner rather than later, and um, just stuff like that all over the world. It's just so fun to for me to learn about, and then also for me to share the stuff that I know from Australia as well. That's so cool. I never, you know, you just don't think of it that way. I just know I always think of literally Nashville and the South, and now and I know that it exists elsewhere. Yeah. But, um, but even when I listen to your music, I would be, I would think I was listening to an American. I would not think I was listening to an Australian. I could have been, that's, you know, wow. you've definitely, you know, people sing in, in, you know, obviously mostly sing in that American voice anyway. I mean, I've, you know, so many bands, it's impossible to tell. And you, you know, you look at, listen to Adele, Adele sings, not right. that she sounds like an American, but she sings in one voice and then you hear her speak and it's like, that you know her singing voice and her speaking voice is so different you know that you just would have no idea that that's how she would sound yeah yeah that's a weird question i get asked that a lot too i don't i think the answer is partly you grow up singing along to records and whether that was the beatles or whether that was garth brooks they kind of you kind of sing in an american accent i also found a youtube video one time and it told me something like the american uh accent the vowel sounds are more pleasing to the human ear or something i don't know how how true that is but that's bullshit um, yeah <laughs> musical in a music context clearly clearly it's english for god's sake that's ridiculous <laughs> they're not australian i'll give you that yeah, not yeah, yeah. american we'll just agree on that we'll just agree on there's two of us no one's arguing we'll just move on on that one look yeah, i've yeah. taken up a lot of your time but before i let you go we have one last thing called last orders on the shaken and stirred show sort of quick, fast, simple uh, series of questions. Right. Uh, first one is um, to life as it could be or to life as it should be? Oh, are we drinking to this? Oh, we can. We, is that can what I... to, we, we can drink to this as well, but I, it's more of a question. I love it though. But do you reckon it, you know, it's, it's you should live to the, the, the theory of life as it could be or life as it should be? I think that is one of the delicate balances that I, I, you need to have a little of both in your life. I think that's the, that's one of those, like, to me, when I hear that, I hear like, am I happy with where I am or am I, do I need to be there? And I feel like you need to have, that's a really, that's a balance that I struggle to find honestly. And I, and I do, Fair I enough. hope to find it better as I move forward. So I hope that's not too politically correct for you, but uh, a little of each. No, it's, 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 a, it's a perfectly decent answer and it makes sense. I'm going to give you a simple one now because that last one threw you and you thought it was a drinking game. So um, favourite <laughs> board game? Favourite board game, Morgan? <laughs> oh, man, uh, Yahtzee. We were playing Yahtzee a lot um, in, uh, in lockdown. Yahtzee, that's a yeah. good one. Um, if you had to be a member of any band in history, any other band, you had to be a member of a band in history, which one would it be and why? Wow. Man, I would probably be in the Zach Brown band. Which one? The Zach Brown band. They're a country, they're a country jam band here. They're, they're, I mean, they're a huge act here uh, in, uh, in the US, but um, they, uh, I just feel like they can do anything. There's like seven or eight of them or something like that. And um, it just seems like they're having fun. There you go. Zach Brown, but it's funny. I, I don't know them, but I will check them out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm new myself to country music. I've kind of got into it in the past couple of years. And it's like, a, it, you know, I'm an old school rocker. So when you mentioned okay. Led Zeppelin earlier and all those bands, that's like, yeah. I, I have photographs of Led Zeppelin in my house and the whole nine yards. And, uh, you know, that's my, my whole world. But very, yeah, I, okay, I like that. Well, if I'm the guy that introduces you to Zach Brown Band, that makes me really happy. I hope you go and check it out. Start yeah, I'm right after this. We're going to check them out. <laughs> The foundation is the record you need to start with. That's their first one. You heard it there. Yeah. Um, and final question, shaken or stirred? Shaken. And why? That just seems like you get more done. 
Can't put it more simply than that. Morgan Evans, everybody. Um, check him out. Songs that we drink to. Day drunk. In fact, he's got more songs about drinking than I, than, uh, than, you know, an Irish pub. But, you know, well done, mate. Congratulations on everything. Where can people see you next? Um, geez, man, we're sort of going into hiatus a little bit here, but we'll be on the road um, next year. Uh, in the UK and some of uh, Europe with Brad Paisley in Australia with Brad Paisley too and we'll be doing um, headline stuff in the US so uh, just social media or the website or any of that stuff uh, the dates will go up as soon as uh, they're announced absolutely brilliant and we will also put them on our social media when this comes out too thanks so much thanks everyone for listening to the Shaken and Stirred show uh, Morgan thanks really cheers mate and uh, have a, a really good one and send my best to Kelsey yeah you too mate love to chat to you take care bye cheers bud Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.